everybody. Welcome to another Park Report podcast interview. This is Roy. My guest on this episode is Adam Elk, founder and singer for the band The Mommy Heads, an alternative prog rock band that's been around for a really long time. They've just over the last decade started to develop a prog audience. They have a new album out called Coney Island Kid. I talked to Adam about the band's long history, working with Don Was, getting signed to Geffen Records, their new album Coney Island Kid, and a whole lot more. So stick around for that. Uh, before we get started, just a reminder, subscribe to our YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on progreport.com and on all our socials. And now my chat with Adam Elk. What's up, dude? Good to meet you. Finally, face to face. I know. How you been? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So uh, are you, you're done with the tour? You, you're back in New York or? So we, so we did uh, 10 shows in, in Sweden, which we love going to. We just we keep going back, and uh, that was awesome. And and then we have a Northeast tour. Everybody works in the band, so we got to kind of stay near home. And like if we do a West Coast thing, that will take up our 15 slots for the year. So we try to keep it under 20 shows. Gotcha. Yeah. Because we're all adults now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how did you end up that? you have this following in Europe and in Sweden in particular that, that caused you to go back. Is that something that's been going on a, a long time? It was really a fluke. Uh, we put out four or five records in the nineties and we're very much a regional act for New York and San Francisco. So we were bi-coastal. We would tour between the two cities, but our best shows by far and best friends and connections were in the West coast and the East coast. And then we put out a Geffen record for a minute and right. we were kind of the band of the week in 97. <laughs> we toured with Lisa Loeb, you know how it is, and had a couple of A&R guys show interest. And, and then we got this big deal and we were in Billboard on the cover, blah, blah, blah. And then they, when they realized what we were or what we weren't, we weren't really Geffen material, they, they dropped us. But back in the day before the internet really was a thing, boxes of CDs went to some weird places like Indonesia and South Korea and Sweden. And, you know, it was as much as it was slow to ramp up a band, it was slow to ramp down a band. And so we never ramped down in, in Sweden and they sort of had their own tastes and their own likes and dislikes and were more of a fan of ours than some of the other things on the roster. So they kept listening to it there, the Geffen record. And, and 10 years after we'd broken up, we were getting calls from guys going, Hey, come out, you know, it's going to be great. So we did. And it was, that was eight visits ago. That's wild, right? It's amazing. That's such a cool thing. It's bananas. It's really cool. <laughs> so, um, do you know an artist that uh, there's an artist that's a friend of mine that plays uh, around the East coast areas from Boston, Adam Ezra. Have you ever, have you ever heard of this? I know him well. We, um, we've collaborated on many things. A few years ago, I saw him at a show and he, and he knew that I was into this whole prog rock scene and doing all this and everything I was doing. And he told me about, he's like, you, you'd like this band, the mommy heads. I think this is a band you should check out. Dude. I love that he dropped us though. The, the, it's always word of mouth. It's always the best is word of mouth. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, I want to know a little bit more about the, the full history and, and let, let you talk a little bit about the full history of the band. Well, you have a, a new album out. Um, by the time this airs, it's going to be out. Uh, Coney Island Kid. Is it your 20th record? Is that correct? It's our 15th actual record of material. So we yeah, it's well, I'm with a 10 year break, which is if we hadn't had done a 10 year break, we would have had maybe 20. But we needed it, so it's it's good to take a break. Yeah. 
Uh, you're you're a songwriting machine. I mean, are you always writing? Is it is it just all the time? I'm somewhat of a compulsive creator. Uh, I find that if I'm writing, I stay out of trouble. So <laughs> it's, pr it's plain and simple. If I'm not writing, I'm buying stuff off Amazon or wa or binge watching Netflix or doing something stupid. So right. I, I just it, life is very simple for me. If I strum a guitar and I write a song, and it's decent, I feel pretty good. And and it's like a hobby mixed with a how I'm gonna be known by my songs years after I'm gone. And it's funny how the hobby is the thing you're probably known for, whereas the job that you work so hard on for years and years, you can't remember what you did last year in that job. So it's funny how things flip and you know, the the thing you do while you're staring at the wall and got some time on the weekend is is the thing that outlives you. It's great. And that's kind of cool. It. Great to have it yeah. to do. That's exactly, that's the, you know, uh, yeah. but, but let's go back to the history of the band a little bit, how you, how the band got started and, and then the 10 year break. And then what drove you to have this sort of last, I don't know, decade resurgence, which I think has been pretty cool. Yeah. So we, we started in high school. We were just like-minded sort of new wave kids and played CBGBs a hell of a lot and played all those weird little clubs in New York in the late eighties. New York was a weird place. It was very dark. Not a lot of street lamps work. The smell of urine was, was ever per pervasive. And, uh, <laughs> it didn't feel like there were rules. It just felt like Gotham city from Batman and, and the clubs were loose. They didn't worry about analytics. They just, if they liked you, they booked you, you know, it was all by, everything was by gut back then. And you didn't have to like look people up and become a genius quickly so that, you know, like get the data download. Like you didn't need all that. You just, your gut told you what to do in the, in the moment. And, and you listened and you absorbed it and you said, I like it. I don't like it. And you moved on. And that's what we came out of. And our instincts were to play together. And, and the drummer, the keyboardist and I met in the late, in like 89 at CBGB's. I, had, I saw them play and I was blown away and I had my own drummer and bass player and we melded together and and um, it was awesome. Hilly Crystal was our mentor, the guy who owned CBs. Um, and then New York got a little nuts. And so we moved to San Francisco and really would we were really into the band at that point and Little Feet and groove bands. We were also very Zappa oriented. I mean, Mommy Heads is really mothers of invention and talking heads. So we were oh, a heavy Zappa, early Zappa. Okay. And but we love talking heads. So we liked you know, first four Talking Heads records where it was tight songs. We love Zappa where it was crazy. You, didn't, you never knew what to expect. And we tried to meld the two and with the harmonies and, and sort of, uh, you know, uplifting lyrical uh, passages of XTC. And um, and so that was our thing. And we played, 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 toured, toured, toured. And eventually we played with everyone in the, in the early 90s, literally every band. That's just what happens. You're on the circuit. You everybody plays together. So, and eventually we, we played with Lisa Loeb. She asked us to, to open for her when she had her hit that was number one everywhere, Stay. Okay. Yeah. And she was as big as possible for, she was Geffen's biggest signing. I think anyone's biggest signing. She was literally everywhere. And so we were playing amphitheater, amphitheaters and large clubs and that blew us away. And it got us in front of Geffen and, it, and then we did the record in LA with Don Was who was in between Rolling Stones records and Jim Scott, who was in between Wildfires with Tom Petty and Rolling Stones and Bonnie Raitt. And then we were thrown into that and made our Geffen record. And then, and then we broke up and, and I got a real career and everyone got real careers. And, and then 
our first drummer passed away from high school, Jan Kotek in 07. We did a reunion show and we were all 10 years wiser and older and we're like, this feels good. And from that moment on, we've been relatively busy. There was another five year break where I just started business. But um, what we found out is life is not easy. It's hard to recreate yourself. Like if, 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 if you're a musician and, and that comes easy to you, you strum a guitar, you play the drums and you just, it just flows out and everything else is hard to do, paying bills, mortgages, mowing the lawn, whatever's, you know, then just as you get older, you're like, why aren't I, why am I not just doing the easy stuff? So we all looked at each other and said, well, let's just get together and do the stuff that just flows out and let's stop, you know, even talking on emails was hard. Figuring out schedules was hard. Once we got in the room, it flowed and we were like, let's just keep doing this. And that's really the beginning of our second phase, which we've produced 10 records. I, I forget, but yeah. nine or 10 records in a short span. And a record a year is not that hard. If you, if you, if you have a band of like brothers that we all just really dig each other's company and we know how to play this kind of music, it just kind of flows. It's not a labor. You would think that, but you know, there's a lot of bands. I think it's now more prevalent now these days where lots of bands are taking three, four, five year breaks. It happens all the time. It's really weird where I think 70s, 80s, you had bands that were putting out albums a lot. And then if you took a long break, then it was like, whoa, they disappeared for a while. I think now it seems to be common, but you guys are, are bucking that, which is, which is pretty cool. Well, there's things, there's things that I think people take themselves way too seriously, musicians. They think they're recreating the wheel every time they do a record. Be their egos. You know, I want the bass ladder. I want the, you know, before you know it, the mix isn't right. Let's keep revisiting it. Um, there's so many personal things that get in the way and philosophies. I want to do, I, I want, you know, no more gas powered this. And, you know, I eat meat. I eat, I'm a vegetarian. There's so many different things when you just play the music and it flows, record it. And don't worry if it speeds up and slows down. If it feels good, that should be everything. And that's what I learned from like Neil Young. He puts out records that, you know, Bob Dylan in the 70s put out records every month and they felt right. Whether he was a Christian one moment or a Jew the next or a Muslim the next, he was, he was, music was part of his daily routine. It didn't feel like he had to put on the clothing of music, like, like a bad tux, right? you know? Like it just was his daily thing. And it didn't feel like for, for those guys and yes, and a lot of other bands that I adore and John Denver put out a record every month. It was, it felt like it wasn't pretentious. It wasn't overwrought. Um, and it, you know, take them or leave them. But this is what I got to say. And some people are buying it. So I'm just going to keep going. So it's not this like serious thing. Um, and that's what we've learned. Don't take it too seriously and don't let egos get in the way. Just make music. Yeah, that works. And then and then you have this new uh, prog rock kind of uh, uh, audience, I guess, that's jumped on over the last few years, it seems like. Um, did you ever see your guys as a prog rock band? I mean, now that you when you were talking about how you got the name and the Zappa and Talking Heads and all that, it's really started to make more sense to me um, because people that like prog like those bands, too. It's it's sort of a, a, a maybe an intellectuality kind of thing with with the songwriting. I think that maybe is what it is. It, I feel like if you're pat if if you have three chords, you you could be rock. You know, 
right? Three chords. The only time I feel right is by your side. Then they modulate. So it's three chords modulated. So if you have four chords, you're still in the rock zone. Once you get to five chords, you could be progressive, right? Like, because it's it's like mix it's like a mathematical equation. You get six chords in there and you throw a minor and a diminished, you're super progressive. So for me, progressive is just like le you learn your instrument, you get bored of the three chords, and and then your lyrics get a little more detailed. They're a little less about love every song. Maybe they're talking about, you know, not just goblins and ghouls, but you know, where the world's heading and topical things. Progressive music to me is a lot of music. I, I think Romanian Light is as progressive as any Marillion record. Um, I think it's more progressive than a lot of current uh, pr pr prog bands. My problem with prog is that when it gets too musician-y and too numbers and too like we're on Mount Olympus as musicians, come bow, come to the show and well, be in awe right. of the spectacle there, of my fingers. There's somewhere in the middle there that's like the perfect, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it becomes like a magic show, like the rabbit's here. No, it's not. And I I get the magic show, but there's always this wall, like uh, sort of between you know, the, the magician has his tricks. You're never going to know him. And I feel that way about super players. And then I miss the song. And what I love about early Prague was they were Beatles fans. And, you know, mm -hmm. John Anderson was a huge Beatles fan. Peter Gabriel was a... Yeah, and they they wanted to do Everly Brothers, but twist it in a way that was they just wanted to make something fresh. And if that's the case, then it could be anything. There are no rules. There were no rules back then. I feel like there be, there are more rules now. Like, are you this or are you that? And and the musician thing really grates on my nerves. It's like when I'm talking to someone and they're they purposely use large large words, collegiate words, to try to prove to me how intelligent they are. I'm like, dude, just talk to me like a human. And I feel like Prague can become like that. Like, stop with the big words. You don't need them. Speak from your heart. And that's when I miss original Prague, where it was fresh and raw and it hadn't been heard before. But really Prague for me can be some Stevie Wonder where he goes, you know, too high, do do you know, but it didn't do it. It's like, he's, it's jazz, it's Duke Ellington, it's funk. To me, it's progressive. So yeah. progressive to me is huge. And I, the thing about progressive music that I love is I love the people. They're open-minded. Sometimes when you talk to people in a dance crowd or trip hop or whatever, they're very, they're very like, I do this. Progressive people pride themselves on being open. And that's something I love. Well, and that's why we embrace it. You know? Well, growing up, I was a fan of um, bands like ELO and Super Tramp and, you know, uh, different, different bands like that did all this kind of stuff. And then I come to find now that we do the prog report and there's this whole kind of prog scene that we've been in now for like a decade. I'll, I find out that people th think of those bands as prog. I, it never occurred to me <laughs> that that they were prog bands, but I guess, uh, you know, it, it's just the it it fit my mental state of the kind of stuff I liked or whatever. And it didn't matter that it had a million notes or not. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It is everything. It is a lot of stuff. I think the best identity is when you're told what it is and you don't create it. And that's what happened to us. We went to Sweden and all the people that loved us were Prague fans. Right. One friend of ours, this guy Anders, who we stay with, is literally the premier Prague writer of Sweden. And when Genesis wants to come to Sweden, they speed dial him. <laughs> Same with Yes. I mean, he's always on the phone doing interviews with uh, like Crimson and and... And he 
basically said, look, I, I'm at a pretty much an authority, at least for Sweden, and you're more Prague than you realize, you should embrace it. And so being told what you are is better because you're getting, you're getting sort of a, a like a, a perspective that you can't force by yourself. If you m make up your own identity, it's always going to smell like rotten fish somehow, like something's rotting because you don't really believe it. You just want to be cool. But when you're told, then it's all that's out of the equation. And you're just like, I guess I trust you. You're an authority on it. You have a thousand records in your collection. Let's go with this Prague thing. <laughs> and so we were told we were Prague that's and that we should embrace it. And it, we'd be healthier. It's like a doctor's appointment, right? Just you'll be healthier if you just walk a little more and eat this, right? So it was pretty awesome to go there and, and have that sort of perspective, I got to say. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And then what's wrong with getting some more fans, you know, people that like your music. I mean, that's all. That's great. Totally. You know, uh, I thought uh, Genius Killer was one of my favorite albums uh, that you guys uh, put out was a couple of years ago now, I think. Um, and then uh, so you the new album, Coney Island Kid. Let's talk about that album a little bit. Um, are, is that you? Are you the Coney Island Kid? Is that just the story of, of, of you guys, you and the band? Well, what is that about? I, well, I more more than usual, I, I kind of d did a sort of deep dive into my own psyche and tried to remember what it was like growing up. And I think the cool thing about that is everyone has some intense memories, whether they're positive or negative, about where they grew up. You know, every every teenager wants to run away. Either they're successful and then they have kids and they come back because they're like, you know what? Home is where the heart is, whatever you always have intense feelings for where you came from. And my, I grew up in Coney Island and um, my feelings were very intense. I realized more and more. And by diving into this, it was very healthy for me. It was, it was, it was like therapy, really pure therapy to, to, to realize that a lot of my patterns in life were sculpted so early. And a lot of what triggers me was sculpted so early. Those triggers started when I was a, really a little kid and how I view life and, and everything, you know, there's an, an urban amusement park down the block and the way they hawk their wares, you know, come right, step right up, you know, I do that in my life. That's what I do for my job. Like I'm literally a product of my environment and either I'm embarrassed by it or I, I embrace it like everybody on the planet. And I ran from it and now I'm close to it. My dad won't leave the area and each song is a different side. You know, Soul's Aquarium is about the aquarium which is on the beach with a view of the water with fish behind glass looking at the water. I always wondered about that. Um, Sodom, uh, Solemn by the Sea is a twist on Sodom by the Sea. I think Freud went there and said, this is Sodom by the Sea. Because it was so debaucherous to see people in bathing, first bathing suit bikinis in the 30s and all the people putting money in things and looking at the freaks and the freak shows and so I called it solemn by the sea, like sadness, you know, like constantly diving in and finding twists. And that song is all about the early amusement parks. The first three amusement parks were, was uh, Steeplechase and uh, um, what, what were they? I'm forgetting, but um, Dreamland. Dreamland burnt down. I think it was an insurance scheme, but they had like a ride that went through hell and one that went through heaven and one that replicated a, um, a, a volcano erupting and and it was really blew people's minds and you put a diamond and you disappeared into this and they and it burnt down um and there are lyrics about animals running through the streets 
so there's so it was a real wonderful experience lyrically and and we, then we started putting the songs together with sound effects and it became a concept record god forbid you know those well, i run got, from concept ding, records ding, ding, prog right there you know i mean what a problem so many bad concept records and there could only be one or two um quadrophenia and and tommy and lamb but you got to give it a shot so um yeah it was fun very intense that is that is pretty cool you also did a video for uh why aren't you smiling uh kind of a quirky video uh very funny um talk about the idea to make that video and, and put that out as the first single how do you how did you decide that's the single from the record first of all i think because it's the most immediate easiest song to get and i don't believe in singles i think it's a nice teaser um it's like an aperitif but um the video was very instant for me i it's a song you know society says you should smile more, you'll get jobs, you'll get a husband, you'll get a wife, just smile more on the date, smile more on your, on your Tinder profile, smile more to your cab driver, smile more Thanksgiving dinner. So I just, it was a song about like, we should be smiling as our dreams are crushed. We should be smiling as, you know, our faces are being changed in Photoshop, just smile. So it's a, it's a song about questioning that. And then what I wanted in the video was um, slow motion camera. There are these, uh, cameras that are, you got to pay 50 to a hundred thousand dollars for these cameras. And they do like a thousand frames per second. So I want, I rented one for a day and we just filmed these ourselves smiling as like stuff hits us and you get the slow motion, like, ah, you know, like those micro like responses in the face. It was so much fun to throw meat at each other and rice Krispies and <laughs> it's wild. And like, why aren't you smiling? So, and then we went to Rage Room and beat the hell out of office supplies, and that was fun too. So, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something earlier, which I I didn't know about. I want to follow up on it uh, with you because I'm curious. You said you got to work with Don Was uh, for your for your album on, when you were with Geffen. What was what was that experience like working with him? Because actually, he sounds thinking about it now like the perfect choice to produce your record. But but did did it work out like that? He was very involved in the basic tracks very involved in the like choosing which songs he thought were deemed worthy he he, he wanted printouts of the lyrics he got very involved with pre-production he sat in the practice space um and it was great he, he was a buffer between us and the label if the label were asking for stupid things he'd go don't worry about it he got tower power to come down and play he put us up in his house in mulholland drive which was uh, a house where they shot like soft porn movies in the 70s. It was Russ Meyer's house with a pool with glass so you can look under and see, you know, like more than you thought you could see. And it was like with a view of L.A. So there was all this like amazing stuff. The part that we didn't love is once we started mixing and doing overdubs, he kind of disappeared. And he was back with the Stones in pre-production and Bonnie Raitt. And he was so overbooked that we couldn't find him. <laughs> and so that's when Jim Scott who did all the Wilco records and, and Tom Petty and who's a ringer kind of took over. And I thought Don would be around more with some tricks and, you know, let's do tape loops, whatever. He was very organic. It was a very organic record. It's like guys in a room playing. The problem is it came out the same day as Radiohead, OK Computer, Beck Odele, like all these loopy, twisted, almost like bringing Prague back after 10 years of being dormant albums and here we were making a record that sounded like the first band record or 
little feet and we were way out of like our league and um people would hear okay computer and go that's genius and listen to us our record and go it sounds like they just tracked themselves where's the magic so that was a problem yeah <laughs> but he he was amazing in some respects i mean he literally oozes confidence and producer dumb or whatever he lives in a producer world like he is the ultimate calms the room and he's he's a therapist like if it, most artists are insane so they they're in the room losing their minds and he comes in and he levels it i mean to get mick jagger and keith richards to make a record was not easy in the 90s so he only he could do it um that's cool and he, yeah. i literally the the moment we put out a record he was being honored in billboard for his birthday and it was everyone was had ads I mean, he was like the biggest thing ever so he was i remember that name back in there around that period i mean you couldn't think of a bigger producer at the time i actually don't hear his name anymore really come to think of it i'm sure he's doing something but um but that that was a period where he was he was everywhere for sure we got a peek into like music industry la like nobody's business it was yeah. crazy yeah i mean that's a obviously you have the whole experience you have the whining and dining and the getting signed and then the big producer thing and then and then the getting dropped experience it's the full circle like being a being a musician experience but i mean are, it, do you look back on it and go hey at least i got to experience that it was cool or or it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be i wouldn't trade any of it i loved every moment i didn't like getting dropped i didn't like the band breaking up because your whole world's wrapped up in it. I was 27, 28. And everybody thinks they're going to do, you know, play huge stadiums at some point. Because you just don't, you don't even know what you want. And you're just in a herd of other 20-year-olds. And they're all going somewhere. So you just follow. And we were friends with Cake. And they would have no doubt at their show. And we were opening. And, you know, you're just hanging out with all these star-studded people. And you know, going to Matthew Sweet's party and there's Amy Mann and Michael Penn. And you're just like, I'm, I'm one of these people. Why can't I be one of them? You know, I'm, I'm part of, I'm part of the pop royalty. And, and then you get dropped and all of a sudden the phone doesn't ring anymore. And you're like, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just, I should just get a day job. And it was all just a dream. And that's actually fine too. That's humbling and that's life. And you learn from that. And I don't think we'd make any of our current records without that, that sort of huge fall from the big LA thing. Um, and and I'm really proud of making 15 records and I'm proud of what we do. And I think a lot of it's done in, in the shadows and not under the scrutiny of Rolling Stone and Pitchfork and all that. Like it's just, we just do it and put it out. And I think it's very freeing and I, I don't mind the current situation where there's no labels and it's all just random stuff that just comes in. It's fine. It's all good. Yeah. It's a whole different wild so different. now. It's crazy, right? I mean, do, do you look at the whole Spotify and streaming and all that? Do, do you have a do you have a positive or negative view of all of that or it, or you're cool with it? If you're functional and you make stuff and you, you can get it out there. You don't have to like pander to some A&R guy and play like sh uh, like shows just for them. We we used to rent SIR in the city for like just a show for RCA, right? And we spent so much time in this little micro world of like pandering to like experts. And um, now you could just put something out. The problem is, is I think musicians aren't meant to be publicity people. 
and they're not meant to send emails going, hey, check my music out. I think the really good musicians should just make music. Uh, you know, if they have a gift, just make it. The problem is, is they're trying to be everything. They're trying to manage. They're trying to book. They're trying to be booking agents. And I think too much time is spent taking pictures of what you ate for breakfast as a band member and posting to Instagram. Just do what you're supposed to do. Thirty years from now, no one's going to know about that thing. food. But that's the tough thing is that that's how you promote yourself now. It, it's part of it. So and, that's and, a problem. And you're 100 percent right. A lot of musicians just don't know that part. They they're not worried about it. And and to many respects, maybe you're right. They shouldn't be, but that's sort of that's part of the world that it is now. I think, right? It's weird. That's the my least favorite part. Yeah. And I'm still not on Instagram. I need to be, but it's the least personable human connection part. It's just look at me. I prefer a live show. You have a beer before. You, you, people come up to the merch table. They're like, dude, that was awesome. You have a beer with them after. What are you doing? Let's hang out. Tell me your influences. I'll tell you mine. I like that stuff. I like doing interviews like this or radio interviews or talking to DJs. Or some DJs ask me to do shows. I'll just string apart, string together an hour of music. And, you know, that's the interactive stuff that I like. I think the ultimate's a live show, obviously. But, um, Acoustic things. We do record stores. I love record store shows. It's the record buying public. Like they're, they have thousands of records. There are people. Um, any kind of inter interaction like that's perfect. I don't like the one-sided. I don't care about what just happened to you. Here's what I just, here's my smoothie. You know, that's the part I don't like. And look at my band and check my video out. So I, I do it, but I know that it's, it it's really does not have a lot of value unless there's a connection. Uh, you're not wrong there, man. I, you know, it's, 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 it's just sort of the weird position everybody's in nowadays. You know, I deal with working on social media basically from part of my job, all, you know, all, all day. And uh, I, I wish I didn't have to <laughs> do it either. Well, there's a difference I mean, because it's one of those you, things. that's your job. But yeah. when you're, I have a problem when someone's doing it for themselves. And that's the same thing that goes back to when someone tells you you're Prague or they tell you, hey, I think you're this. This is an outward thing. This is like, I'm telling you that I'm good. Yeah. And I'm in the band and I'm in this body and you gotta just trust my perspective that I'm good. That's when I have an issue. That's when it's hard to trust. You are working with other people and there's you have the perspective and you're like, I dig this, check it out. Like. I'm a connoisseur to some degree. I get a lot of stuff. Right. It's yeah. different yeah. to me. It's different. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good, that, in that respect, it's, it's how you get to people, let them know. So, uh, but anyway, let's, uh, to recap all of this, I love talking about all this stuff like this. It's really interesting to me. Of um, course. Uh, but, uh, Coney Island kid by the mommy heads is out now. Uh, look them up on, uh, on, uh, I guess, Facebook and Spotify and are you a band, band camp? And, yeah. Uh, Patreon. Patreon's amazing. Okay, you guys have a Patreon. That's cool. Great. Um, yeah, we do a dollar a month, and you get a song, and you get an update, and and we try to make it worth a dollar. <laughs> that's awesome. You can't beat a dollar. Support these guys. They're great. They've been around for a long time, and they're still kicking ass, making great music, uh, becoming pro more proggy by the day. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> good to talk to you, man. Good to finally see you, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch again really soon. Loved it. Thank you so much. All right, man. Thanks to Adam for the interview. Don't forget the new album from the Mommy Heads, Coney Island Kid, is out now. You can check it out on their Bandcamp page or wherever you get your music. For upcoming news, reviews, and more, follow us on progreport.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, 
on all our socials. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you again soon.